This is a When Walls Can Talk network podcast. Hi, my name is Jeremy Haig, psychic medium, tarot reader, and proud nerd of the occult and the spiritual. I've been talking to the dead since before I can remember. Hearing their stories and listening to their lessons radically changed my life and taught me to become more curious and peel back the layers of the world around me. On this podcast, I invite you on a journey as we discuss spirituality hot topics with specialists and practitioners from across the witchcraft community, pull and explore monthly collective tarot readings, and recount lost or forgotten paranormal stories from around the world. This is When Walls Can Talk, the podcast. Consider for a moment if someone from another world or another time arrived to our planet and told you that they never heard of the holiday we call Halloween before. What would you tell them? How would you explain our beloved yet singularly strange traditions and practices that make up this October holiday? Costumes, often scary, and candy, ancient legends and tall tales, spirits and ghosts, carved pumpkins and apple cider. Where did it all come from, and why do we celebrate it? The true history of what we have come to know as Halloween dates back millennia to the ancient Celtic festival of Samhain. It is spelled S-A-M-H-A-I-N, but because Irish is a singularly difficult and confusing language, it is pronounced Samhain. While Celtic, Irish, Roman, and Christian hands have all each molded and shaped the traditions we recognize today, one thing has not changed. The true traditional practices and rituals of Halloween developed over the centuries all stem from a singular ancient intention, to ward against evil spirits and wandering demons of the night. So who were the Celts in the first place? Their histories are quite mysterious and date back to the already poorly documented early European Bronze Age. Specifically, scholars trace the roots of the Celtic tradition to the Central European tribes of the 8th century BC, who developed a somewhat unified language and also developed what we know as the Hallstatt culture. As centuries passed, their influence extended outward throughout Europe, and was eventually succeeded by Latien culture, which reached as far as the British Isles, Spain, and Turkey. It is these people who would become what historians refer to as the Celts. That is not to say that the Celts were a monolithic group, meaning a large, completely unified body of people. No, in fact, the Celts were an extremely large, diverse group, bonded together by a similar language, similar traditions, and religious beliefs. Beyond those core ideals, the individual clans and peoples vary sometimes so wildly from one culture to another that it has given rise to the question if history should be lumping them together in the first place. However, 
In the context of today's episode, the term Celtic will suffice to describe some of the traditions and religious practices observed by a vast majority of the Hallstatt and Latian world. So where specifically do the roots of Halloween come from? As with many ancient traditions, the early roots stem from a festival celebrating the seasons of nature, specifically the fall. The year for the ancient world was divided more or less into two halves, one light and the other dark. Within this cycle of light and darkness, the cultures would celebrate many important events along the Earth's journey around the sun. Four marked the equinoxes and solstices, while the other four marked the transition between seasons. These four dates were celebrated with fire festivals and were called Imbolc, the transition from winter to spring, Beltane, from spring to summer, Lungnasa, from summer to fall, and Samhain, which took place on the evening of October 31st, the beginning of the winter season. The word Samhain, in fact, actually stems from the word meaning summer's end and celebrates the arrival of the dark half of the year. It is also considered the start of the ancient new year, when one would bring in the very last of the harvest before the cold winter months. It also marked the ending of the season of war, very common in Ireland, and thus was even more worthy of celebration. From a political perspective, Samhain also was a time for the clans to gather, laws to be passed, and sentences to be carried out. It's very difficult to pinpoint the exact era these festivals came into existence, as the Celts had primarily an oral tradition. Therefore, many specifics and details of the Celtic world still remain a mystery today. Much of what we know about the traditions come from the records of the Greeks and Romans, or from what we've been able to piece together from Celtic archaeology. Samhain first appears on official record on an ancient bronze calendar dating back to 1 AD. However, additional records suggest that the festival was celebrated for many centuries prior. In fact, investigations into the Mount of Hostages in Ireland seems to indicate that the roots of Samhain go back much, much further, as the 5,000-year-old entrance to the Mount precisely faces the sun as it rises on the morning of Samhain. So now that we've established how this early predecessor to Halloween exists in the fall months to begin with, certainly a defining aspect of the current holiday, it doesn't explain, however, how Halloween came to be known for its spookiness and scariness. The ancient Celts believed, quite accurately if you're asking my opinion, that the material and spiritual worlds were separated by a slender veil. They also believed that this veil could be further slimmed or even lifted in certain places or at certain times. Samhain was one of these times. On October 31st, the Pleiades star cluster would rise to its height at midnight, also aligning with the arrival of supernatural beings who would wander throughout the world of the living. It was also believed that during this holiday, the living could return the favor and wander the paths of the dead for a time. However, doing so was fraught with danger, as one could easily become lost or trapped on the other side and never find their way back. It was also thought that on this night, the fairies, or the fae, would also travel from their summer hillocks where they would spend the warm months to their winter burrows where they would disappear until it was safe to return. During this transit, the fae would bring with them the people who had been trapped in their dances throughout the past year. The festive holiday of Samhain, therefore, presented a chance to the Celtic people to intercept those lost souls before they were gone forever and passed on to the other world. 
The folklore surrounding Samhain and the Fae is filled with such stories. The Scottish legend of Tamlin, for example, tells the harrowing story of a young maiden who manages to rescue her lover from the clutches of the Queen of the Fae during the dark night of Samhain. Other spirits, like malevolent entities or ancestral ghosts, also filled the night, giving birth to a feeling of unease and anticipation, a feeling we attach to the holiday now as spookiness. So let's talk more specifically about how the Celtic people celebrated this fire festival. As we've already established, Samhain held both seasonal and religious significance, and was a time when the people would begin their preparations for winter. The excess and surplus crops would be harvested and used to create mead and beer. Without the luxury of refrigeration and the existence of preservatives, these would have needed to be consumed quickly and in vast quantities, leading up to, but even more importantly during, the festival of Samhain. In addition, a portion of the animals which had been brought in from the fields for the season would be sacrificed and processed into countless different foods and goods to support the needs of the villages. Thus began the tradition of large feasts and gatherings to celebrate and consume the fruits of their harvest. In honor of the beloved dead, who were soon to arrive on the same night, the Celts would set a place for their loved ones and set aside part of their meal for the spirits who wandered the night. Samhain also served as the perfect opportunity for matchmaking among the village. For example, fruit loaves were a common accompaniment to the Samhain feast. Inside these loaves would be baked fake rings and hazelnuts. The recipient of a slice with a ring inside would be soon to marry, while the slice with the hazelnut bleakly foretold a celibate future. Maidens and bachelors would also carve their initials onto a hazelnut and toss them into the bonfires. The roaring heat would cause them to pop, and as they did so and landed next to one another, the couples would pair off as their hazelnuts dictated. This practice is mentioned more prominently in the 14th century writings of Welsh poets and bards. But hazelnuts were not just used to determine one's love life. They were also used to determine one's fate. For example, people would commonly sign or initial a hazelnut and check on it again the following morning. Should the hazelnut still be there, you were expected to live through the following year. If the nut had disappeared, well, let's just say this won't matter next year. But why hazelnuts? The hazelnut tree bore significant spiritual importance to the Celtic people and was closely associated with their ideas of the other world. It was of most significant importance to the peoples of Ireland and Scotland, where it was told that nine hazelnut trees hang over the well of wisdom. Like hazelnuts, apples were also considered to possess important magical prophetic properties. For example, if one was to peel an apple in one long continuous motion, it was said to predict longevity based on the length that one could achieve. For a maid, an apple peel of this nature, when tossed over the shoulder, would land in the shape of the initials of her future husband. Or, by eating an apple while combing their hair in the reflection of a mirror, a maiden could conjure the image of her future spouse. One could say love was definitely in the air during the fire festival of Samhain, during a time when all manner of fertility rituals were already commonplace in Celtic tradition. It's of no surprise that the evening of Samhain was considered an extremely auspicious time to conceive a child. To truly understand the religious significance of Samhain, one must first begin by understanding the Druids. 
the leaders of the Celtic spiritual and scholarly life. Among their most critical tasks was performing the rites of Samhain, punctuated by the lighting of great sacred bonfires and tended to ward off spirits of evil that were free to roam the land and to prevent attacks from the other world. This was achieved through the sacrifice of animals and the placement of ancestral skulls on the fires for protection from the dead. In Ireland, the very first of these would be lit by the royal court of Tara, who assembled annually to conduct this sacred rite. Shortly following their initial fire, other fires would sprout up all across the lands. Families would then celebrate by dancing through the night and bringing back an ember from their sacred bonfires to relight their own hearths, thought to amplify the powerful ward they had created with their united energy. Fear of the dead gave birth to many other ancient traditions, some that are inseparable from what we consider modern Halloween traditions. For instance, Celts took to wearing masks and costumes to trick the wandering spirits that emerged on Samhain. While disguised, people could move freely without risk of harm or interference from the spirits. However, should a spirit see through the disguise, they could be bribed with sweets one would carry in one's pocket. But the early ties to trick-or-treating don't end there. Another tradition emerged where people would collect apples, eggs, and nuts from their neighbors in the community during the festival. Those who gave generously to their neighbors would receive luck and ensure the protection of their crops and livestock in the year to come. Over the years, as the Celtic tradition would interact with other cultures, more Halloween traditions began to emerge. For instance, when the Romans took possession of much of Europe, the festival of Samhain got blended in with their own harvest festival, celebrating Pomona, the goddess of fruitful abundance. Later, as the Catholic Church spread throughout Europe, it shamelessly began co-opting many of the pagan festivals. In the 7th century AD, the holiday of All Saints Day, or All Hallows Day, or Hollow Mass, originally celebrated in May, was moved by Pope Gregory III to occur simultaneously with Samhain. This new Catholic holiday maintained much of its predecessor's ideas, but with an emphasis now on a vigil for the saints, rather than celebrating the dead. This tradition began to find its way to the New World as the Puritans arrived in America. However, since most of the pilgrims were not Catholic, All Hallows' Eve was not celebrated with near as much fervor. It was not until the Irish Potato Famine of 1850 that the true spooky nature of Samhain, or Halloween, really began to make its mark on the American culture. As millions of Irish immigrants arrived in America, they renewed their commitment to the Celtic harvest festivals and further adapted it to fit the confines of their new world. The tradition of carving pumpkins stems purely from Irish roots. There was a legend of a man named Stringy Jack who managed to repeatedly trap the devil himself only to free him on the promise that Jack's soul would not be sent to hell. With each new deal that was struck between Stringy Jack and the devil, the length of the bargain was extended. When Jack finally passed on, he was denied entrance to heaven after his sinful life. However, when he descended to hell, the devil too denied him entry based on their agreements. The devil cursed him to forever remain trapped in the dark places of the earth with nothing but a lump of dim, burning coal to light his way through the shadows. The cursed man placed the lump of coal into a hollowed-out turnip, which earned him the name Jack of the Lantern.
or more simply, jack-o'-lantern. It was an Irish tradition to carve turnips and place a candle within them. However, when they arrived to America, they found that the native pumpkins were far more suited to the task, a tradition now widely associated with what we now call Halloween. If you're like me and have had an interest in creating your own podcast but don't really know where to get started, let me tell you about Anchor. Anchor is the completely free creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Once you've finished recording, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard across all podcast streaming platforms. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership right from your very first episode. It's everything that you need to make and distribute a podcast all in one place. To get started, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, Paranormal Weirdos. I truly hope you're enjoying this week's episode so far. If you're enjoying When Walls Can Talk, the podcast, I humbly welcome you to consider making a financial contribution to the When Walls Can Talk tip jar to ensure I can continue to create episodes like this one for seasons to come. Your financial support helps to cover operating costs like recording equipment, editing software, marketing materials, music rights, and helps with the purchase of books, historical publications, and research materials to ensure that every episode is as professional and as well-constructed as we possibly can. If you're interested in making a small contribution, and let me tell you that no amount is too little, please feel free to hop on over to PayPal where you can tip us through my email, Jeremy at whenwallscantalktarot.com or on Cash App through money sign Jeremy Hegg. That's money sign J-E-R-E-M-Y-H-A-I-G. There's also a support link in the show notes for this and every episode where you can support us directly as well. Thank you so much for listening to my little sales pitch and for sticking with me through this episode so far. And now, let's get back to the show. Now that we've discussed Samhain and its clear ties to the modern Halloween tradition, I cannot sit here and pretend that it is the only culture with significant attachment to the celebration and memory of the dead. There are many, countless more cultures and traditions that have long celebrated ancient festivals of a similar nature all over the world. Perhaps one of the most beautiful cultural traditions of all, and clearly connected to the same ancient ideas, is Dia de los Muertos, or the Mexican Day of the Dead. Dia de los Muertos is traditionally celebrated as beginning at midnight on October 31st and concluding on November 2nd. While many have become much more aware of the holiday with the release of Coco and many other films, these interpretations only begin to scratch the surface of the long, rich history that it stands upon. Before I go any further, Dia de los Muertos is not Mexican Halloween. While it may currently fall on the same day and appear similar in nature, they have very different cultural influences and should be approached differently, if anything, 
more accurately Samhain and Day of the Dead, are similar in essence. According to tradition, both of these sacred holidays occur when the veil is thin and the spirits of the dead can cross over. Where the core identity of Dia de los Muertos differs from the roots of Halloween is that the day was never intended to be a dark or spooky occasion in Mexican tradition. In fact, it wasn't meant to be sad at all. Rather, it was meant to be looked on as a celebration, a celebration of life, of family, and of tradition. It was a chance for families to gather together, enjoy good food, retell stories, and remember all the important memories of the past. It also allowed the Mexican people to celebrate the current moment together, as well as envision and hope for the future. In a typical Day of the Dead celebration, one will find family altars set up everywhere from the family home to the resting place of passed-on ancestors. These altars are known as ofrendas. Decorated in marigolds and candles, ofrendas will also hold the photos of their deceased alongside their favorite food, drink, or anything else that brought them joy in life as offerings to the dead. Why marigolds? It was believed that marigolds would be the best at guiding the dead through the land of the living due to their strong and beautiful smell. Another iconic, colorful tradition of Dia de los Muertos, and famously depicted in the opening scene of Coco, is the Mexican folk art form known as papel picado, or poked paper. Papel picado is a decorative craft made by cutting elaborate designs into sheets of tissue paper. The designs are commonly cut from as many as 40 or 50 colored tissue papers stacked together, and using a guide or template, a small mallet, and chisels can create as many as 50 banners at a time. Papel picado can also be made by folding tissue paper and using small, sharp scissors. In the streets of Mexico, papel picado are often strung together to create a banner that can either be hung across alleyways or displayed in the home. In place of our pumpkin pie, a traditional treat for Dia de los Muertos was a fluffy sweetbread known as pan de muerto, or bread of the dead. It's worth differentiating that technically, the two days observed during this festival are, in fact, two different holidays. The first one being El Dia de los Angelitos, or Day of the Little Angels, where the spirits of the passed-on children can visit the land of the living, where on the second day, the adults are celebrated. For a fun side note, in the 2015 James Bond film Spectre, the opening sequence features a Day of the Dead parade in Mexico City. At the time, no such parade took place in Mexico City. However, one year later, due to the interest in the film and the government desire to promote the Mexican culture, the federal and local authorities decided to organize an actual Dia de los Muertos parade. The tradition still exists today. Now that we know just a little more about Dia de los Muertos, let's dig back in time a bit and find out where we can trace its ancient roots. The festival has actually been in existence for around 3,000 years. To put that into perspective, that is 2,000 years before the Aztecs actually celebrated these same holidays themselves. Mesoamerican and indigenous peoples to this area long believed that in death, the soul, itself a divine creation, was allowed to pass on into the afterlife. But instead of celebrating this journey of the dead in October, the Aztecs actually celebrated Day of the Dead in August. 
The Aztecs believed that in order to visit the land of the living, the spirits of the ancestors had to travel on a journey through the nine layers of the underworld, known as Miklan. The dead would be guided on their journey by Zolo dogs, think Dante from Coco, and would carry the possessions that they were buried with along with them. According to Aztec tradition, Miklan de Kutli was god of the dead and ruled Miklan as king alongside Miktikatsiwat, the lady of the dead, who played a critical role in the Aztec celebrations. As a side note, she's pretty badass. Miktikatsiwatl guards the bones of the dead on earth, and in artwork, she's often depicted as a skeleton with a giant open mouth, demonstrating how during the day she swallows the stars. It wasn't until the Spanish arrived and conquered Mexico that the holiday was moved from August to October to coincide with, you guessed it, the Catholic holiday of All Saints Day. We're sensing a theme here. Let's say Catholic Spaniards were not exactly the biggest fans in the world of ancient paganism to wildly understate things. While similar in a lot of ways to modern Halloween, many Mexicans roll their eyes a little bit when others refer to Dia de los Muertos as Mexican Halloween. But technically, it's not completely untrue either. However, it's extremely important to realize that there are so many more layers to the holiday than just the things that make it appear similar. A common symbol known around the world as a traditional image of Day of the Dead is the calavera, a representation of the human skull. The most widely known calaveras are created with cane sugar and are decorated with items such as foil, icing, beads, and feathers, commonly known as sugar skulls. The skulls are created either for children or as offerings to be placed on ofrendas. A distinctive literary form exists within this holiday too, where people write short poems in a traditional rhyming verse called Calavera Literarias, translated as literary skulls, which are mocking, light-hearted epitaphs mostly dedicated to friends, classmates, co-workers or family members, living or dead, but also to public or historic figures describing interesting habits and attitudes, as well as comedic or absurd anecdotes that used death-related imagery. This custom originated in the 18th or 19th century, and among the most famous of the cartoon artists to rise through this literary form was José Guadalupe Posada, a Mexican illustrator. Posada created what might be his most famous print called La Calavera Catrina, the elegant skull, as a parody of a Mexican upper-class female. The image was of a skeleton with a big floppy hat, decorated with two big feathers and multiple flowers. His pointed commentary on the Mexican upper-class reminds us that it doesn't matter who you are or how much you own. In the end, we all wind up in the same place. Posada's striking image of a costumed female with a skeleton face has become associated with the Day of the Dead, and Katrina figures are often a prominent part of modern Day of the Dead observances. Many see the figure of Katrina as the very same Aztec Lady of the Dead, Mikatsiwatl, in a new form for a new age. Despite having deep roots in Mexico, Day of the Dead is celebrated all over the world, but primarily in Latin American countries such as Colombia, Ecuador, Honduras, El Salvador, Peru, and Venezuela, each putting their own unique spin on the holiday and its traditions. 
It has also garnered a deep love and respect from the Latinx community residing in the United States as a way to tap deeper into their own cultural heritage in a country that has often made it feel uncomfortable or unwelcoming to do so. While of course, still a day of honoring the dead, Dia de los Muertos also has a deep sense of celebration of the lives of our ancestors and the memories that we cherish forever of our time with them. This has been an episode of When Walls Can Talk, the podcast. Written, researched, and edited by your host, Jeremy Haig. Please don't forget to visit my website, www.whenwallscantalktarot.com, to learn more about me, the show, and to purchase our brand new merch finally available on our online shop. Listeners to the podcast get an exclusive 10% off using the code WITCHCREW at checkout. Don't forget to reach out to me on Instagram at whenwallscantalk with underscores for spaces or email me at jeremy at whenwallscantalktarot.com. So long, paranormal adventures, and I will see you next time on When Walls Can Talk. <laughs>